Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have two wonderful sponsors for you. The one that you know and love, Environments for Humans, have some pretty awesome stuff coming up. One is just next month, the uh, the RWD Summit, both Dave and I will both be talking. That's an online summit coming up. Uh, it's three days long, March 10th, 11th, 12th. You can attend any day you want. If you decide to come to it and see us, use Shop Talk as the discount code for 20 and get 20% off. And lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A. L-Y-N-D-A. Dot com slash shop talk is the URL that you want to go to. You get 10 free days if you sign up for lynda.com through that URL, of which there is something like 4,500 courses on. You can check out any of them in your free trial, uh, which is pretty sweet. We'll tell you more about both of those things later in the show. But for now, let's kick it off, Davey. Uncle Dave on the banjo. Dear listener, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front-end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. That's right, Chris. everybody. You're listening to Shop Talk Show. We have very special guests, Jesenia Perez Cruz. Welcome. Did Thank you for right? having me. Yeah, yeah. That Dave, Dave learned something this week about... Just any. <laughs> I, we were at an event apart, and there was a introduce yourself to your neighbor uh, section. Was of there? The talk. Was that? And yeah, and I was like, well, and it was what was it was? Tell us about your name. Why do you have your name? And yeah, story about me. And, and can you tell share your story? Is <laughs> Yeah, so I was named after a very popular telenovela in Latin America named Jesenia. Um, so that is how I got my name. Lots of Latina babies born in 1987 with my name. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, the mystery has been solved. So so that's, but you, it's because you guys were stand, standing right next to each other at a conference just now. How did that, it was, it was a vendor part. Was it pretty fun? You guys both spoke at it, right? What was the, uh, what was your talk? Just sending you. Yeah. And I think it was both our first times at an event apart. Um, so well, I was nice. talking about, yeah, I was talking about um, designing for performance and Basically, everything I've learned in the past couple of years about decisions that I make when I'm designing that will overall make a site um, faster and, and way less. Yeah. Get rid of the jank, all that stuff. So do you want to, I mean, you obviously you don't have to do your whole talk for us, but that, <laughs> this is like a major hot topic. It's, you know, it's a huge deal in, 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 in all aspects of design. It just, it feels like it's like the topic of the past couple of years almost is, yeah. is, is, is it. And so how did you get into it? How did you start thinking about it and caring about it and I don't know, ultimately giving talks around the world about it? Yeah, I originally wanted to talk about the topic since I am a designer and I had heard a lot about performance from, um, you know, front end developers or people that are doing the implementation or maybe even designers that have more of a front end background. Um, and they did a great job of stressing that, you know, let's reduce images, let's reduce Mm -hmm. kind of like visual ephemera and that type of thing. And what I found was, because I'm working with brands that have these guidelines that they're giving to me and these requirements, it's a little bit challenging to convince them. Um, If they have a a brand guideline that uses three fonts, why that might not be the greatest idea. Um, And what I've been doing is figuring out a way to find a balance so that we're still creating things that are unique and beautiful and visually rich, but they're also more responsible and um, aren't a huge burden on a user that's loading the site. So that's why I, I talk about it, just because I think it's important to 
learn how to frame things in a specific way. Mm-hmm. And from from your perspective as a designer, right? You mentioned fonts. That's something that you wouldn't want to say spring on a designer way down the road, right? Be like, well, you know, you designed. We have this design guidelines. There's three fonts involved. Now we're building the website. You've worked all this time with these three fonts, but it's like, you know, somebody else gets involved and be like, eh, those are a little too heavy. Can you redo all mm-hmm. this with one or two fonts? Is that is that one of the problems you've kind of seen or? Yeah, it it gets to a point where if we're not considering these things from the beginning, um, it's much harder to optimize at the very end. And it's much harder to go back and change something if a client has already seen something that they love and they've signed Uh. off on it. So those are some of the issues that I've come across. Um, And the issue with the fonts that I've been dealing with recently is it's more about how I can take the existing brand guidelines and figure out a way to translate them to the web and how I can establish a performance budget to give myself a baseline so that I can start having a conversation with my clients about it. So I could go to them and say, you have a hundred kilobytes to spend. Here's some options for you. And Ooh, nice. that's a way to have a conversation instead of just saying, no, <laughs> you can't have. Yeah. You know, it needs to be the conversation. What is no? No doesn't go anywhere. Right. right. The conversation needs to be a little bit more nuanced. Um, yeah. That's fun. I, I could imagine that almost being a fun conversation then being like, what are we going to pick? We got a hundred kilobytes, you know, it's like a yeah. kid, kid in a candy shop kind of thing. You give your kid two bucks and they have to decide, do they want the, you know, the little <laughs> turtle and the nerds or do they want the Twizzlers and the, <laughs> or whatever. Right, you know. right. My, Instead of me being like, this is what you're getting because performance. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Doesn't work. No my, Gotham. My, <laughs> no Gotham for you. My, my friend's dad used to do that for her and she had the system down. She was like, I'm buying 200 gumballs. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most that. sugar per coin. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So those clients that you're talking about, you've worked with lots of interesting high-end clients, um, but but at at the moment you're at Intuitive. Is that the the full name? Intuitivecompany.com is the URL, right? Yes. That's your day job as it were, right? How's that? It's it's new-ish, right? Yeah. um, Let's see. Beginning of July. It's been fun. I've been working on a a nice range of projects. Um, I've been getting to work on more things like applications and get to a level of depth with, um, from like a user flow perspective that is interesting and, and new to me. So that's been nice um, just because for years I've been working on primarily websites and kind of these broad design mm-hmm. systems. Um, so it's nice to get a little bit more balance there. That so you do you have there's a distinction for you kind of between the or do you just um, you didn't have a chance to work well, I mean how do you think of an app is it's just more there's more I don't know like a login system and and I don't know I functionality that you didn't normally get to a chance to play with with other sites it's just been a little bit deeper into um, a user flow in different scenarios um, in that way like workflow wise. Um, which I got a little bit into with some of the websites that I'd been working on, but um, I don't know. It's just a, a slightly different type of of challenge yeah, yeah. than um, when I create a design system for a content site and I need to think very broadly um, about these patterns and and making sure that they're kind of as reusable as possible. That still applies, but there's also an additional level of like depth to a very specific problem. If you think about like the Amazon ordering experience, like how many right. scenarios you have to think through in that situation. Yeah, yeah, lots of it. It's it's just it's funny. I, you know, there's there's always this argument that the, you know there is no divide. They're all just websites. But then different people are like, yeah, but there totally is. A, you know, there is there is differences in websites. So if our language hasn't caught up, fine. But there mm-hmm. is kind of some different. You know, they just they feel different, so they are different. You know? Cool. So what else you got going on? Is there anything that, that we sh- interesting stuff we should know about or you want to talk about? Well, I'm excited. Um, next Thursday, Alista Part is hosting their first on-air event. So I'll be talking with Scott Gell and really? Laura Hogan about designing for performance. So I think we're all pretty excited about that. 
That's pretty interesting. How, I mean, I didn't know anything about it. As you, people can listen in like kind of a like this, a live podcast kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so you can register for the event. Uh, it's free. So that's awesome. Nice. Um, and you can just listen in. Um, I think it'll be a Google Hangout. And I'm excited because we all bring a slightly different perspective. And, you know, Laura's in-house and Scott is a developer. Yep. So um, there should be some some really good discussion there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. That will be good. I'm totally going to listen to that. I talked to all <laughs> you kids. Now I can listen to you all together. Uh, cool. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Fiona, I'll be hanging out at that for sure. We have the 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 meat and potatoes of the shop talk shows Q and A, but I think we have some. Uh, there's some. There's a little bit of drama that's been happening in the industry, wouldn't you say, Dave? Little bit of drama. <laughs> it's kind of performance related too, because it's in fact it's a hundred percent performance related. It's kind of the, this idea that. The web, the web isn't isn't up to snuff for for sixty frames per second. Sixty fps. That's the number that people throw around a lot for. Like, what does it take to make an animation feel absolutely smooth to the human eye? Mm. Right. And uh, and, and if if, it, if an animation ever drops below that, you can kind of tell. There's a little jank or stutter or whatever that the, the kind of word is, and you see it all the time. You know, it's just it's never a comfortable feeling, uh, but but you do kind of notice it when something that you're working with doesn't never has it. It's just perfectly smooth, you know. And that tends to be the case when you're using native apps. It just tends to be true, you know. You know, you know, you tend to not click on something in a in a native app and have it slide away and slide something and have it go, uh, 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 you know, it just doesn't happen so much. And it does happen on the web quite a bit. And I guess therein lies the, lies the drama, people that are kind of preferring to use native apps. And then, and I guess, wasn't it rooted in the, in the Flipboard thing the, that, that they like are that rendering was the everything big thing. to so Canvas? Flipboard wrote an article, 60 FPS on the mobile web. And they're like, the Dom sucks. <laughs> this is my their yeah. teenage kid. Dom sucks. Canvas is cool. So we rewrote the Dom using React and JavaScript. And by the way, like we're working on accessibility, uh, but it's not there. Uh, and there you go. So their their web page is basically doc type, head, body. Canvas element, yeah, that's that's that's, and then the a website. whole bunch of JavaScript probably that blasts stuff into that canvas. Probably um, a metric f ton <laughs> of JavaScript, <laughs> and that's a problem because accessibility wise, there's has none, and by default with a canvas, right? There's no, there's nothing you can tab around to. You don't, you don't get any document outline at all. You get nothing, right? It doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that they'll never have it, but. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So they're that, and that's one of the biggest criticisms is they prioritize sixty FPS versus being accessible and a website, mm-hmm. uh, which is really interesting because there is like a big push to be sixty FPS and have these rich appy feelings uh, <laughs> or interfaces, sort of. Uh, but then, but then they were like, we can't do the achieve the effect we want to do with normal HTML. So we have to basically do a new kind of HTML inside a canvas element, which is an HTML and they left out all the accessibility, but um, the Paciello group, uh, Steve, I'm blanking on the last name. I want to say Faulkner, but I'm blanking uh, wrote about how you can use canvas subdom and inside the canvas element, if you just write normal HTML with buttons and links or whatever, uh, screen can readers okay. can read through that. So um, so that's an interesting thing too, right? Um, it is. Like they could, in theory, just spit out HTML, but they don't hmm. want to do it. What do you, what do you think about all this, make of all this, Yusinia? Yusinia? So I'm a little bit behind on this, but it sounds like they chose to prioritize animation for letting people have access to their content. Yes. Right. They are prioritizing f- 
feeling happy over it's, access. Yeah. That idea that it's like 60 frames a second or bust. Uh, uh, yeah, that feels kind of wrong. <laughs> it's, it does. It, it certainly does. <laughs> Judgment. <laughs> Cast. I also feel weird. Like, what if I'm reading an article and I want to, like, copy a sentence of it? I can't even do that, right? That seems really weird. Yeah, maybe it, you can. In some ways, it's like a video game or something. You're just you're just scrolling a gigantic picture picture that's drawing as you scroll, like hundreds of millions of times a second. I'm sure it just shreds through your battery, but uh, it's interesting. I don't know. I I think it's kind of marvelous that they were even able to achieve it in, in any regard. Yeah, it's certainly technologically interesting, and I also feel a little snotty being like telling other people what to do. Doesn't it? Doesn't that seem weird? Like you can do whatever you want. I don't have any, you know. Like I, I guess I can have a some big lofty opinion on whether they're destroying the web or not. But I just, I just, I can't muster up that kind of enthusiasm these days. I don't think it's just like, yeah, I have no control over it. Maybe it's not the choice I would have made, but I'm certainly not gonna. Pick it outside your door. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'm like, I do the accessibility project. It's bad. They should have. I, I don't, I, I just don't know how you like, you're like, yeah, didn't hit that mark, but that's cool, bud. You know, like, like it's totally inaccessible. But at the same time, I, I don't know. This is sort of a, this is an app that launched only on iPhones, which is like a $600 <laughs> super computer or whatever. So like they clearly it's just are for like, reading other content too. It's not, it's not some way that it's disseminating inf- information about the news. It's not, uh, you know, a mandatory social network, you know, like some other things are, it's not, it's just some ag- aggregate service, you know? Uh, it's 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 certainly an interesting. The priority thing is is interesting. That like they they had some priorities and they they chose a different way. So I guess that could be advice that you are certainly leaving off some people that could be using your app. Mm-hmm. And I wonder I wonder how true that is. Is the DOM the way to frame it? I always feel weird when because it, it's people that normally don't say the word DOM are talking about DOM now, and that always feels weird to me. You know, you're like, is it the is it the is it really the DOM that's the problem here? Certainly, the DOM is as absolutely capable of sixty frames per second. Thing it's not it's not that the DOM just can't do it. It's just that you, the way that you were playing with it wasn't getting you there, but you just weren't doing a good enough job. Or it's not pr- tremendously easy to get sixty frames per second for the types of things that you were doing. But it, it's just, I don't know that it needs to be this condemnation of the entire of the, using the web is, mm-hmm. is, is out, you know. I, don't know, I think it was framed weird. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's weird that their declaration is like the DOM, which whatever that is, I think it's shorthand <laughs> for HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they say it is too slow. It's not just slow. It's really slow. If you touch the DOM in any way during your animation, you've already blown through your 16 millisecond frame budget. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I, <clears throat> we better leave this one alone. Should we, should, should we, should we move into the fire some, uh... is hot? I just, it's too, <laughs> I wish they would have said it's too slow for the effect we're trying to achieve. Right. Right. And not, for the web in general. For everything. Yeah. Maybe we've RM, targeted it. RF. I think you're right. <laughs> the Dom. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna here lies the Dom. Here lies uh, the Dom. There you go. That makes some commemorative t shirts for February two thousand fifteen. <laughs> uh should we we have we have some we have let's talk. Let's talk questions, shall we? Let's chat it out. Amit Amit Kvint writes in, I'm a web designer from Spain. How do you decide to go for a self-made theme or to hunt down for a paid theme that comes closer to what your customer wants? Uh, There always seems to be a good enough theme for my customer's needs and I never get to create my own. What is the that moment when you say this this one, this is going to require its own custom theme? How should I look for that moment? 
So it sounds like Amit is solving most of his clients' needs with with templates. But what do you think? Well, Jasenia, do you have an opinion? Do you use themes, or have you ever <laughs> modded a theme? Or not for client work. Um, if I I think I needed to get my WordPress blog up quickly, so. I modified a theme for that just because it was super basic, but it sounds like, I mean, for client work, that would be a decision that happens in the requirements phase and maybe uncovering what the client really wants or what really is the most appropriate would be a good way to convince them that using something custom would suit their needs better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm not sure what, what good enough means. Yeah, right, right. That's pretty. That that's pretty vague. You'd think, you know, I, I'm sure there's some there's some work that you can do that is so obviously out of the realm of a template that it's just it couldn't be more obvious. I mean, you've worked with huge clients like you know from your white you know site MTB and Zappos and big sites like that. Obviously, some some you know, $99 template you can download isn't going to work for Zappos.com, right? It's just not, it's just obviously out of scope for that kind of thing. Uh, but, but then you're like, you're saying if, if the kind of clients you're having emit is, are people that, you know, need, need, need a blog and they've never had one before, like just something kind of simple like that. Maybe, maybe there is themes for that. It sounds like kind of, yeah. you know, I will say that no, if it's something that's very like functionality driven, there have been situations where a client has asked us, you know, we need to build this rich community for our users and message boards and places to, you know, post files and, and et cetera, where it's, it has been easier to recommend a service to them that we can stylize to match their website than for us to build something from, from scratch. So I think if it's a service, I mean, that's similar to Shopify yeah, or, yeah. you know, any sort of e-commerce platform that specializes in in that from a functionality perspective so i think in that regard you know if it's more affordable to go with something like that then obviously to have a company build something from scratch that is already out there um i think in that case that makes sense that's a good that's a good point like yeah yeah don't build anything from scratch that you don't that you don't have to or be better served by something you don't I, i like that advice uh, also, what does a theme exactly give you? A, lar- a theme is is largely aesthetic, I would think. I mean, I'm sure there's some like custom premium themes that are you know have built in scheduling system or whatever. But for the most part, when you think of a theme, it's just aesthetics. It's you know, it's the modules look like this. I'm going to give you a some typography. I, I generally find the typography being like the the thing that's the most lacking in a theme anyway, which is kind of mm-hmm. sad, but it's kind of like a color theme and whatever, maybe some big header, you know, hero graphic on the top or whatever. And people are like, wow, that looks beautiful. That'll be perfect for my website. I'll just swap out that image and off to the races. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that really, but it, it, it doesn't give you all that much. It gives you a little bit of aesthetics and it's like the, the complete design process is so, so much more than just, a little bit of aesthetics slapped on the top. Right. I wonder if, I mean, I think budget comes in, you know, and it's something you talked about. Like I build custom websites and you came to me for custom websites, like you were saying in the requirements phase. Uh, But you know, what if there is a theme that meets those requirements? I mean, I mean, maybe that's a pack, a skill you package up is, is, Hey, I can maybe save you thousands of dollars by just going with a $40 theme. Like this is something I do. I I try to think that through. So I don't know. Um, that's maybe something you can sell. Don't tell them it costs $40 though. You want to upsell $400. (laughs) I mean, or you could be honest about it and say, we think your money is better spent on, you know, in this, like maybe they only have so much money to spend and it's better spent coming up with a content strategy or, or, or something specific to the project. You know, they're trying to do a lot with not a lot of money. That could be an option. That's clever. Yeah. I wonder if like a, a $40 theme with a really good content strategy, like is, is competitive, you know, I guarantee that it is. Don't you think? Yeah. If you, yeah. 
than, this than is all about blowing your whole budget on on some design. Yeah, heck yeah, it is. That's a great advice. Speaking of um, uh, the, the design process and stuff, Ernesto Chavez writes in, I often read about prototyping using Bootstrap, Foundation, etc. Does this mean building a prototype site you know, with the minimum amount of design and code it is to take it. And then after some approval step, then you begin building the real project later. You kind of scrap all that stuff and then and then kind of build out a, a individual site. Is this a regular practice? So I think that's kind of that's kind of interesting because I've I've heard that that that's kind of that's one of the things that happens at agencies sometimes is they'll literally build out a prototyped site with with the intention of it being thrown away and being rebuilt at some mm-hmm. point and kind of the is that do you find that to be true? So I actually, I used to work with foundation to create prototypes. And I think at its core, what was helpful about that was if I'm creating something that is really reliant on a flow that someone needs to go through to understand how the site is going to work, or if they need to understand how something is going to look at different, um, at at all device widths, um, then it's helpful in that regard. Um, Some issues that I came across when I was prototyping was one that it is a, it was a throwaway um, deliverable. It wasn't something that we'd typically reuse the code on. The second thing was that as a designer, when I'm wireframing or designing, I want to have the quickest translation from what's in my head to what, to a tangible thing. And there was a little bit of a learning curve for me to turn what was in my head to something that would be, in a coded prototype. So I think at its core, what it was trying to communicate was interactivity. So, and and I think that there's other ways to do that. It could be with a quick paper wireframe and um, and something in Envision that shows how the interaction is going to work at different viewports. It could be... um, Have you you used that Envision? We just had them as a sponsor last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a cool tool. Yeah. Yeah, so we've used... Envision just to show flows and, and make it more interactive. And um, it has a great integration with Sketch, which has been um, a time saver. Nice. So let's say so, it's a hover effect. You can do that. You can be like, I don't know, this is what this is this state and this is another state and it has a real hover effect in there. You basically upload your screens and then you add touch points so that you can show what navigating through a flow is. If you want to okay. show the way something is sliding in or hovering or anything like that, and you don't want to build it right away because you need sign-off first, then something like a keynote um, prototype um, is, is a quick way to, to do that. Because we, I, I think that doing exactly what you need so that you can get approval and move forward and get it to a place where it's a, the real coded thing quicker is better than spending a lot of time on building a, a prototype that's not going to have reusable code. Cool. So Ernesto, yes, this is a real thing that people do sometimes. And uh, I guess, it, I mean, I, I, I can imagine that it's not the case everywhere, but it's kind of, but, but know that it's a true thing. I, th- I kind of think it's neat, you know, gives you some grids and stuff to just work with right away. And then, I don't know, is, is there some advantage too to showing work showing clients in a, in a, in a real kind of way, right? In a, in a, in a web browser. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, we had a lot of questions about how much content was going to be viewable above the fold. You know, the, that phrase is still around. And if you have built something that has a code and, and um, a URL that the client can open in on their phone mm-hmm. or their tablet, then it's much easier to communicate that, like how much content is going to be visible or, or how's the content going to restructure based on the device. That's nice. I mean, you send somebody an email, there's a darn good chance they're going to be opening it on their phone. So mm-hmm. this, that's a good opportunity to prove that your work is going to work. Cool. Yeah. Speaking of opening things on their phone that are going to work... That type of that idea is largely called responsive web design in our industry. Uh, and if you wanna if you wanna level up your understanding of that, the uh, this is a sponsor spot, by the way. We don't have a cool like drum sound to go we behind need, it or whatever. Uh, we need like the startup thing, right? Or maybe yeah. I just 
Exactly, yeah. that podcast startup that has the the beat in the background when it's a sponsor. Yeah, or maybe we do some man on the street interviews, and they're like, "RWD, keep." Does that work? Anyway, all right. Quit. Have you listened to the other one? What's their other one? The- Relay or uh, no? Reply all. Yeah, that one's good yeah. too. So the the sponsor, our sponsor, is rwdsummit.com. <laughs> cool, Chris, Chris is listening. Anyway, he's Chris. Ugh. Chris is in the chat room. He's like, "Cool transition, guys." <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, yes. where you can listen to both Dave and I speak to you, but speak to you in a in a structured, formatted, clean way, where you're going to learn a bunch of stuff. Is to sign up and come to the rwdsummit.com. It's three days coming up, March 10th through 12th. You can come to all three days, or one day, or two days, whatever you want to do. Use discount code Shop Talk. Uh, for twenty percent off of your ticket to come, it's really kind of cool. You know, you can attend. You could attend it from work. You can attend it from home in your robe. You could do whatever you want to do. You'll recognize other speakers from Shop Talk Show: Katie Kowalson, Rachel Andrew, Ben Frain, Zoe Gillenwater. There's a huge list of people talking about all kinds of things related to responsive web design. I'm I'm preparing something brand new, as a matter of fact, and uh, uh, it's going to be really fun. Kind of, I'm going to be showcasing a lot of SVG stuff, but like with like a billion demos in it just to be just to I just want people to be like jaw-droppingly impressed with what live SVG demos? can do uh video live so <laughs> I don't okay. know if I'm gonna code live like Dave he's pretty I heard you were doing that on at AEA. yeah when he said that he was gonna do a live demo I was like in a row of speakers and we were all like <gasps> but it was very entertaining <laughs> nice it was I a think good I like pull it two off. minutes I, where I was just showing my shirt on the screen, so that's cool. <laughs> anyway. Ouch. Maybe, so maybe the, I'll do that at RWD Summit. Yeah. I might do a little bit of it just because I always, you know, it's like it's like ching for me to demo, demonstrate CodePen at the same time, you know. Whatever, I'll have to talk to Christopher and Ari about it, see how, see how the fidelity goes, see what their advice is. But whatever ends up happening, I'm sure it will be awesome and fun. That's rwdsummit.com with the discount code SHOPTALK for your 20% off. So we'll see you all there. That'll be fun. Uh, let's do some more questions. We got, uh, what do you got? Dave? got you wanna- cl- question from Leah Wagner. She writes in, I am a front-end developer and I spend the majority of my time creating responsive sites. I aim to develop with mostly HTML and CSS. However, I sprinkle in a little JavaScript when it's required for certain design elements or interactions that cannot be achieved with CSS. Although... Or also, while I'm building these sites, I'm developing for infinite breakpoints, meaning I'm constantly expanding and contracting my browser window to ensure the design integrity is intact at all potential display sizes. So here is where my question comes in. As I expand and contract the browser window, occasionally certain elements being modified with JavaScript don't look great until I refresh the page at that particular breakpoint. Uh, I have attempted to fix this with a window.resize kind of function, uh, but this seems to cause performance issues with the browser. Understanding the end user will only occasionally resize their browser, though not to the extent I do during my development. How mm-hmm. should I weigh the pros and cons of this situation? So Leah has a, a website. I get it. This- yeah, and, and there's RWD going on, you know, things are shuffling around, whatever. But she also needs a little JavaScript here and there to be like, okay, when the window is 500 pixels wide, that means the checkout module has to be, you know, pinned to the upper right or something like that. And and maybe that JavaScript just kind of runs once. And Leah's saying, well, so I can bind it to window.resize, meaning that like every single time the window is resized, it checks the width of the browser window. And it's like, is the now is the browser window less than 500 pixels? Then apply the CSS necessary to, you know, pick, you know, pin that thing to the upper right. Uh, so it sounds like the con- the performance conundrum between just, you know, just testing that window size once with JavaScript or testing it kind of too many times. Isn't that the problem here mm, yeah i think so have you ever run any anything like this jesenia have you hit a performance like resize performance thing um i think so where it it's supposed to re-render but it hasn't 
think yeah. yeah. Like it'll resize once and look good. And then you resize your browser and it's like, it didn't get the memo that you resized. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there's a, there's some lag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've seen um, it. I don't really know what the, I think there's like is. two ways to fix it. Well, window dot resize is a really good way. Um, that's, uh, well, that's how you fix it. Um, but the thing about window.resize is it runs it has every, performance every, problems of every its own. pixel it'll run. So basically if you're do, using fit text or something like that, it'll run 900 times if you slam your browser super wide to super And sadly, wide. there's no, there's mm. no, I've, I've often wanted this, like resize done. Like if you're using jQuery UI and the draggable or something, there's like an end event to draggable, like a callback mm. that will fire when you're done dragging it, like when your mouse mm. has come up or whatever. That doesn't exist uh, in the native, in the DOM. <laughs> the DOM. <laughs> no wonder it's the so DOM. slow. So what no. you have to do is do you have to either throttle it or debounce it is what yes. you need to do, Leah. And that is like you set it to either run every 10 milliseconds or like to just ask for the resize every 10 seconds or something or 10 milliseconds uh, or whatever. Uh, hundred and then debounce is like set a little timer to like if it gets called again reset the timer if it gets called again and then in, unless the timer actually runs out then run it you know mm-hmm. so th- throttling and debouncing slightly different but they both achieve better performance for something like window dot resize and I wonder if that'll make it into like ES six or seven or something some kind of better situation for that because it's something that so many developers have dealt with that it's like shouldn't the language evolve to deal with it. One one thing you can do now is use request animation frame, uh, which is this. That's sort of like you're like, hey, resize this thing, but when you're ready to browser, like when you have when you're about to do animation, and the browser is like, cool, wait, point oh six seven milliseconds <laughs> because I I I'm doing something right now, and then when it can, it'll run it. Uh, so that's a good way. One thing you want to be careful of is how, like how you set it up. Um, Cause like, if you're like instantiating a whole JavaScript object, like a, a whole other instance of it, uh, that might be really bad performance. Like if you say window resize, uh, dollar, my carousel dot carousel, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, that would be, it's that would probably be trying to, tear down and set up the carousel every single time you resize. So you have to kind of like, you want to look for like the update width method or something like that. Like just try to do the, the only thing you're trying to do. Speaking of request animation, and we were talking about 60 frames per second. I think it's kind of interesting that it, it like optimizes for 60 frames per second. It doesn't just run as fast as it absolutely can. It tries to, as far as I know, it tries to get pretty close to 60 if it can, but it mm-hmm. will slow down if it needs to kind of thing, which is kind of yeah, nice. Where it, it's like a it's four, like a, four loop like or a set time motor. It's like a pickup truck. What's the analogy, Dave? It does as much as it can, and it'll slow down. I quit. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do one. Let's get a little advice here for Ryan Lowe. Ryan says, I've been learning HTML, CSS, and jQuery for a few years now. I've been paying the bills by freelancing. So far, I haven't starved or had my power shut off. I have learned a lot in the first couple of years, mainly because I started from nothing, and each project has brought new challenges. I felt as though I was improving rapidly. In my fourth year of freelancing, however, I'm finding that I'm plateauing skill-wise. My skills aren't getting any more challenging. Although I love um, how free I am to work, study, hang out at the beach when I want, I have a lingering feeling, guilt maybe, that says I should be working harder and learning more. Uh, he goes on a little bit, but I think the idea is like, what do, you th- what do, you, what do we think about Ryan's situation in life? Should he? He's kind of asking, should I go work somewhere to level up in skills? What would you say? Just any of the, have you spent any time freelancing and was that better or worse from you than firm work? I have never done freelance work. Um, I wonder if 
he needs, I mean, people talk about passion projects all the time. Maybe he needs to just build something for fun, or maybe he needs to recommend a new technique or, you know, something in his client work that would challenge him to learn something new. So, I mean, those could be ways to expand what he already knows, like do something that he doesn't feel comfortable with and, and try to figure it out. Right, because we would we would say that he, Brian knows what he doesn't know, right? Like he, do you, Brian, do you know Angular? Maybe you should try it. Or do you, do you know you know who knows PHP? You know that you know what you don't know, so maybe try one of those things, and or you know passion project that kind of thing. Do, I wonder if you know <laughs> he's kind of saying, am I am I being lazy? Am I hanging out at the beach too much? I wonder if. Getting a job would help. I suspect that it would, because guaranteed that job is going to be different in some way than what you do now. So yeah, I don't hang out at the beach very much. (laughs) I kind of want to say, Ryan, don't change anything. (laughs) Stay on the beach, (laughs) enjoy your life. Yeah, Um, honestly, Ryan. (laughs) If that's working, like go to the beach for me. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) wait until it gets super rough. Please, um, for all of us who who work all day in front of a screen. So, but I was going to say, if you, if you're not like, if you feel like you should be learning something, I, I would try to pick something up. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. listening to the excellent podcast is pretty good. Yeah. But go to um, excellent conference. Maybe go to a conference. <laughs> That's what I like. If you want exposure to uh, different ideas or different skills or. Uh, or even like, I think he says in his, his note later on, like really good designers. How, you know that might be a way to get that exposure without committing to a nine to five. Um, I, I think, I think what you have is pretty sweet if you're feeling good, and then maybe just yeah, go somewhere, and you could still surf if it's a conference in say San Diego in October or something. So think about that. Yeah. And I think there's also so many things that you can, you may think that you're good at, but you can get so much better when you start thinking about the details. Like you can get so in depth with typography or um, like learning different ways to code things. So I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can build upon what you already know. I mean, it could be writing, it could be anything. Um, So I think there's a lot of opportunity to just figure out what it is that you want to learn more about or be better at and just kind of figure out how to get there. I like it. I like it. All right. Next question. Here we go. Uh, let's do Steve Scott. Writes in. At the top of every article page, there's an image tag, which takes up the full width of the screen. I'm picturing medium in my head, but in my CSS, I've set the width and height to auto and it preserves the aspect ratio with min uh, max width set to 100%. However, when the page loads, there's an instantaneous flash where the element uh where the image element has zero height and the content after it flows at the top of the page, that content is then pushed down and when the image loads and the browser knows its dimensions. Uh I want to get rid of this flash. It is unsightly and probably bad for performance. Uh but there are a couple of things making this tricky. The images uh are uploaded by users, so the image size and aspect ratio mm. could be anything. In my backend code, I do have access to the each image's width and height, but I'm using the source set and sizes attribute. So there are many different sizes at the same image, which complicates things a bit. Mm. What is the best solution without having to dynamically generate CSS for every page? Whoa. This is I know that's cool. a lot, but the, the idea is there's an image at the top of the page that's kind of unknown, and he doesn't want it to like push down content when that image loads. It's like a pretty simple, straightforward thing, I think. I and I think the key to the solution is that you know what the you know the width and you know the aspect ratio on the server, so you can just use Uncle Dave's thing, where you just set a box around it. You set the height to zero. You set the padding top to be a percentage that's the same percentage as you know to a hundred as as the aspect ratio of the images, and then it'll just make a box that's exactly that aspect ratio. Then when that image loads into it, it won't move, right? Yep. 
Uh, I called it Uncle Dave's Old Padded Box because I thought it would be really funny <laughs> for that to show up in articles. It does. <laughs> it? So, um, so just check that out. Find that one uh, on the old blog. But, yeah, you just basically set a box that's padded and you set a background image. And background size cover is pretty awesome for filling up that whole space. So even if you're like a little bit off, it'll, it'll negotiate that. So, um, so I think that's super good. Um, and you can, yeah, you, you, you could do the CSS, but you'd only need a few lines of CSS. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is, I don't know how your server's configured, but you could do, um, you could do like progressive JPEGs, which might get the first, frame of the jpeg faster um and then oh, that's a good point the rest. so make sure you you have progressive jpegs set that might be the easiest fix non-code well it has code but it's all it's probably a j or a wordpress plugin or whatever but i'm trying to think of like other situations where i guess fonts are the big one like you you wait for a font to load and then there's a flash Mm-hmm. What have you struggled? I mean, had anything similar? Does this strike any design issues you've worked with lately? Not off the top of my head. Definitely fonts and having them having that flash. Yeah, um, that one's the worst. Yeah. What are you? What 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 is? Do you have what? Do you have an interesting design project right now you're working on that you can talk about, or is it all secret? I bet there. I bet there is some secret stuff over there. <laughs> yeah, mainly secrets right now. <laughs> mainly secrets. I have secrets too. Not really. I wish I did. Let's do another sponsor. Uh, uh, right. Actually, there's probably a um, a question that would line into it, but I think we should just we should just do it. You know, one of the most common questions that we get here on Chop Talk Show is about like how do I level up? How do I learn more? How do I? And there's so many ways that you can do that. Of course, Dave has a, a sound bite that is one of the ways that which you can level up. That one's pretty good. Oh. That one's good. Or just <laughs> they all feed each other, and uh, uh, we've all been a longtime advocate of doing both. You know, you got to do the work, you got to do the work, but but also you need to like be learning, and and it's nice when somebody can show you how to level up, and you know, so you, you, if you don't have any information coming in, then you're going to build the same website every time. So it's kind of like you got to do the work, but you have to supplement it with training material as well. That's what lynda.com is. It's probably the the largest learning resource on the web. I say that and I don't, I, they didn't even, it's not like they tell me to say that. I just know that it is because there's thousands of courses on it. So like that's insane. And uh, it's just because they've been been around for so long that that's just the case. 4,500 courses <laughs> on topics like web development, photography, visual design, uh, business, uh, you know, the training and stuff that like you, you probably need training in but don't even know it, like Excel and stuff. Have you ever seen somebody who rocks at Excel working in it? I get to watch it once a month because we have our little financial meeting in the with our accounting person and they like are flying through Excel in a in like a Google Hangout and I'm like, "Wow, you're very good at Excel." WordPress, Photoshop, all that stuff taught by experts. New courses are added every single week. Uh so, yeah, whether you're, you know, trying to level up in life or, you know, Try to trying to get into this stuff to to make a little side income or whatever. Lynda.com is a place where you can do that stuff. Um, it is now a 10-day free trial in 2015. So the URL is L-Y-N-D-A, Lynda.com slash shop talk, and you get you get it all if you in this free trial. It's not like a limited free trial. You get unlimited access to every single course on there. You get, you know, access to all those tutorials on their, you know, iPhone, Android apps and all that stuff. So, you know. You'll love it. You'll love it. Try it out. Lynda.com. Let's do some uh, more questions. We uh, here. We have this one, uh, an audio question, which I should have pulled up about a minute earlier. Can, we can do a different one. Let's do a different. One. You pull it up, and I'll read this. This Mark one. This is just another. 
CSSE one. Mark T writes in when nudging an element by a few pixels, you know, so we designers do. Should I be using position position relative? And then you can use like top, left, bottom, right, and that type of stuff. Or margins, like margin top, three pixels. I'd say, Mark, that you can do either one that you want, but margins will push other things away too. You know, like if you have a list of links and you put margin left three pixels on one of them, it will push that one and all the rest of them over three pixels in that line. Whereas if you just apply it to one and say position relative left th- three pixels, it'll just move that one over just by itself. You know, so just know that one of them affects other things and the other one doesn't. I use position relative nudging all the time. I like it. Yeah. All right. Here's an audio question from Josh Green. Writes in or calls in. Hey, Chris and Dave. Josh Green here. I've recently been trying to improve the performance for the websites that I build. And I've noticed Google Chrome uh, is saying that I'm loading CSS that's not being used. So CSS for the contact page is in the is be, is being loaded on the home page. Uh, it got me thinking, uh, is it good practice or should we be making multiple minified CSS files that are conditionally loaded depending on 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 when a page needs them? This sounds like a nightmare to manage and I have not heard of any people doing this. Uh, I'd love to know your guys' thoughts on that. Thanks. Oh, this is a pretty CSS-y question, but... Uh... In terms of performance, how far do you go? Is kind of with CSS. Well, I've noticed that, and I actually have a little data on this that most big sites these days are just smashing it all all together. That seems to be the the way to go. Uh, like for example, GitHub. The only reason they have two is because it's too big for IE, so they split it into two. <laughs> And you get you get all of it. So every piece of CSS on GitHub is in is in these two files. No matter what page you go to, it loads those same two files. They're browser cached, so not that big of a deal. And that's just the way it is. I've always approached it almost like that, but almost like it, I don't know. There's a global for sure that has a lot of stuff in it, but like some subsection of the site stuff, I I break apart. You know, just because. Like for example, the editor on CodePen, like. I don't know. I just have that separately for whatever reason. Maybe I shouldn't, but on that particular page, it loads the global and the editor. Mm. But I see most people are smashing it all together. What are you doing, Dave? Oh, well, I have a question for Jesenia, but uh, I guess like, so I have, what we've been doing is, is kind of like, Kind of, you have your master SAS file with everything or whatever, and then you make a page specific one. But that's kind of on the like assumption that users are only coming to like your article template. You know, like like if ninety nine percent of all your visits are kind of one shots to one page, it, then maybe it's smart to make that page that template faster. As you know, small like, as it can be, sure. Yeah, um, that's an interesting concept. I've never thought of performance like from a page by page, like what is the most common visitor see yeah. and optimizing for that. Because like your editor page, Chris, is probably super different than your. Let's browse all the pens and enjoy. <laughs> let's enjoy CodePen, you know. Uh, but then like there's those- like the chance that if you're browsing and then you click over to the editor, if the CSS is already cached, that's good, right? That's good. Mm-hmm. They get the editor faster. So what do you do? Yeah. I'm not sure that's a good solution. I, I guess that. I've been like you open up like page speed inspector or whatever and then it says like, oh your images are too big. Oh you use too much CSS. I guess I'm always in the like mindset of like how much do you care? And that's that's the question how I thought of you for know, computer. Like at what point do you stop caring? Or what like because like, I mean, you're from a design perspective, you try to do your best to hand off a good site. And then, I mean, are you constantly monitoring the performance as it's being built out? Or do you kind of like just assume it'll be good? Or how, what, how's your workflow on that? Yeah. Well, what's tricky about that is once we've handed, let's say, front end code off, 
and someone else is integrating it or maintaining the site, how much control could you have? Um, I think that's where making sure that you leave clients with the most amount of education possible through a well-documented style guide or pattern library, through um, education about how to optimize images and maintain things. That's kind of my strategy, making sure that they understand that if I'm building a system that has a ton of reusable elements because it'll um, just load faster, if you're like you were saying about if you go to a different page and the styles have already loaded, that they understand why things were built that way so they, they can hopefully maintain it moving forward. No, that so like the pattern lab or whatever kind of helps, uh, yeah, makes it u- reusable. So taking the one hit for gigantic CSS is worth it, kind of. Yeah. Sorry. I shouldn't process things out loud on the show. I don't know. We should do a survey on that. I can't tell if people like that or not, but I'm learning stuff all the time in here. I'm like, I should write that. So I think with like critical CSS where you do like the inline critical in the head and you lazy load. So, and this kind of goes back to the big flash. Like if you're okay with that, herk jerk of flashing you know progressively rendered content honestly that second css file doesn't matter you know like like it it could be seven megs and it'll just apply as soon as it gets it or whatever (laughs) don't do that uh so i i feel like the need to split up your css actually is going down 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 just because it, it where you want to yeah, if you're doing the inline styles in the head, then like most of your problems are solved. <laughs> like you're painting on the first packet, and then you're loading CSS as soon as possible. However much CSS. Well, that's kind of. Have you tried this yet? Do you Me? load? Yeah, critical CSS a little. Oh bit? yeah, I love it. If I'm you do it, it, do you load? The, do you load a little bit at the top that you've determined? However, you're going to do that. And then just load all of it, you know, even if there's repeat stuff in there, or do you tend to, or do you take out the part that's already loaded? Uh, I, I repeat. So it's going to have double declaration in, and, and that's a little tough because sometimes the, like the style block overrides your lazy loaded thing. So you have to be sort of careful, but it works pretty well. If you go to my blog, DaveRuba.com. You can view source and it's all there unminified apparently. Uh, so, uh, but it's, uh, I think it's great because, ah, I just, uh, I think it's great because it's minified. It is. You're logged in or something. Oh, all right. Well, uh, so (laughs) yeah, like I really like it just because it's like, it's all my stuff. It like, I can paint most of my blogs. So if my style sheet never loads, it's like mostly there. And I think it's pretty cool uh, that it works like that. So You're cool. No, I, I recommend it. And it's super fast on mobile. That's the thing is like, I'm always like in the desert in Arizona and I'm like, how fast is my blog here? (laughs) It's dumb, but I do it. And it's, it's pretty cool (laughs) trick to make your website stupid fast. So what about, just sending it like like the performance budget thing. I mean, it, it, have you done that? Have you had a spreadsheet? Have you like walked into client meetings and with and been like, okay, we got two hundred and fifty k to to spend and stuff? I know we talked about this a little earlier, but kind of curious about how, how it worked in reality or on real projects for you. So there are there's like the user experience based budget, which is all speed based and how quickly someone can see the site. For me, um, I found that a weight, just talking in terms of weight, was helpful just as a starting point for a client because that translates really nicely to things like fonts or how much an image is going to weigh. Or if I have a carousel, I could roughly calculate um, how the images, how many, the big image and, and the JavaScript to load it, how much that's roughly going to weigh. Um, so I've used that as a metric um, in discussions with clients. And it's not perfect, and we're still going to have to set some guidelines for how quickly that's going to actually load once we move into the development phase. But I found it's, it, it's been helpful just to set some parameters and guide our discussions when we're presenting designs. That's cool. All right. Well, 
Jacenia, we we have sadly run out of time, but thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Um, if those if people aren't following you, how do they follow you? How do they give you money? And then what's one big thing you'd like to plug before you go? Um, so my Twitter is Jacenia. So Jacenia with an extra A at the end, and you can follow me there. And um, definitely check out our A List Apart on Air event next Thursday. Oh, um, I think the URL is a list apart slash events. Yeah, slash events. And you can register there and view more details. Perfect. Awesome. And if you're listening to this, you have to like, you'll have three days to remember that. So perfect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and thanks everyone for coming out in the chat room. Thanks again, Yesenia. And um, thanks everyone for coming out in the chat room. Really appreciate it. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at shop talk show, get a new job over at shop slash jobs. And Chris, you got anything else for us? Oh, shop talk show.com. <laughs>